Is everyone well? Good. It is so good to be back for this new term. Summer holidays race by for some. They take forever for others. And here we are. Our, our Aria starts school tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. That's exciting. That's amazing. I think she's totally ready for it. Nikki's prepared to cry again. I probably will at the moment. Okay. We have just done a couple of incredible months on the theme of Justice Matters. And um, it really has been amazing. Nikki spoke this morning in pre-service prayer a little bit about the difference between accumulation and assimilation. And I just asked her permission to be able to just share that. What we don't want to do with great messages that we hear is to just accumulate more knowledge because more knowledge doesn't help anybody. There are loads of people who've got brilliant head knowledge about God and they'll argue the case forever and ever, but no one really cares. It's about assimilated knowledge that goes into you and changes who you are so that you become like Jesus. That's the important stuff. And so our prayer has been, and we have seen it beginning to take place over the last couple of months, that the Justice Matters theme isn't accumulation of knowledge. It's assimilation. And people have been feeling like we've got to do something. We've got to do something. And that, that's exactly right. That's how we want it to be. That's how it should be. And we are passionate about getting involved in areas of justice locally, nationally, internationally, and in each of our spheres of influence personally. We all need to get involved in this stuff. And although we finished with the Justice Matters theme... We haven't finished with matters of justice, okay? It's really important that you hear that. We've finished with the Justice Matters theme, but we haven't finished with matters of justice. There is much more to come. There is everything to come now that we are ready to go. And we're buzzing with it, and the simple thing that Nikki and I have been questioning God with is, what would you like us to do? What should we do? It's the, re- it's the simple question that seems to follow on. And for some of you, you will know what it is that God is calling you to in areas of justice and getting involved in the lives of other people. And if you know already, that's brilliant. But as we've prayed, we've really felt quite strongly that we shouldn't just dive into activity. And that's quite difficult to do because there is so much need. Please don't ignore the person in the street who needs your help in the meantime. But we do feel that activity and action will follow and it's going to come soon. But first of all, we need to revisit who we are. And it's from that place of intimacy and identity that activity can flow. Okay? From the place of intimacy and identity that our activity will flow. Do you remember the start of the Skylark encounter that Nikki and I had in Scotland? We had gone to Scotland, hadn't we, to ask that question, Lord, what do you want us to do? And he said, this is who I've made you to be. And once we had that place of identity, everything else came from it. So... Before you dive into, Lord, what shall I do? What shall I do regarding justice? Where do you want me to go? Or what, do you want, what ministry do you want me to start? Or what people group do you want me to minister to? Whatever questions you may have. First of all, let's go back to the question that God is more interested in. This is who I've called you to be. This is who you are. Know who you are. Know your identity. Get intimate with me. And from that place of intimacy, everything else is going to is going to flow. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added. All the other things you want to know, all the questions you have, they'll all come. Let's seek after him. Find out who we are. You know, um, if you've read the, if you're fast at reading, if you read these things as soon as you come in, 
um, the flyer. I don't know what it's called, the hand newsletter. There's the word. Thank you. Eddie knows because she dreams the word newsletter. Newsletter, nearly printing the newsletter. Um, okay, if you've read the newsletter, you'll, you'll have been reminded about the vision statements in the, in the um, foyer as you come in. When Nikki and I took on the church in 2013, um, some of you may recall that we had been given a homework a couple of years earlier while we were on the leadership of the previous leaders, Paul and Liz's team. And the homework was to go and to write down what we see over the life of the church, a vision statement. So we dutifully did it. I, I can, you know, sometimes you can remember where you were when you did things in key moments. Um, I can remember exactly where we were when we were sitting and drafting the vision statements um, for the church. And we went away as a leadership team, and for whatever reason, we never really got round to, to dealing with the vision statements. And that was one piece of homework that never got used. And in fact, when we asked, we were the only people who'd done it, which was really, really unusual. Everybody else normally did everything, but we, we for some reason, had done it. God knew what he was doing. Because when we took on the church, we then sat with him and we were like, Lord, what's the vision? What do you want us to build? What, how are we going to do this? And he was like, I've already given it to you. I've already given it to you, think. And so we went back, and then from two years earlier, we were able to pull out the 12 vision statements that are on the walls as you come in. And God had given them, put them in our hearts before we knew we were going to lead the church. God is so amazingly, intricately a work in your life that there may be things happening today, tomorrow, this week. You have no idea what they're going to mean in two years, three years' time. So trust his faithfulness of what he's doing in your life at the moment. So... We have those statements there, and with Vision Sunday coming on the 6th of October, we felt it was really important for us to revisit some of those statements. Not all of them. We haven't got time to revisit them all. But some of the key things about who we are as, as a church. Loads of you, half I would say, weren't here in 2014 when we taught this stuff. It's amazing how... how the church has been growing, people have been um, sent out, more people have joined us, it's incredible. But what it's really easy for us to do is to think everyone has already got this, they already have all of this stuff and we don't need to say it again. For some of us who have heard some of, some of what I'll say, you may have accumulated it but not quite assimilated it yet. So we need to make sure that we allow it to go from our hearts into our spirits and then out from there. Also, what we're going to do today, I mean, I'm giving a long introduction, considering half of the message will be testimony. That's exciting. Um, Nikki and I are going to, in advance of Vision Sunday, we're going to build some altars and, and share with you some of the testimonies. People are wanting to know what's happening in my brother's story and others. So we're going to share some testimony about what God is up to as well as part of this message, okay? So the, the, uh, here we go. In we go. We're going to look at, um, we see a church vibrant in praise and surrendered in worship. First, first little stanza of the 12. We see a church vibrant in praise and surrendered in worship. And now we're going to talk, I'm going to talk this morning um, from Acts 16, um, the story of Paul and Silas that um, some, of, some of you may well know. What's happened in this story is that Paul and Silas are about to minister to a, to a, a group of people. And um, this girl comes over, and she is a girl who is struggling with some kind of um, demon possession. There's something going on in her that's causing her to keep shouting out at them and keep saying who they are, and you guys are here to do this, and you're that. And Paul and Silas ignore it for a while. They ignore it for a while, but in the end, they've had enough. And Paul turns around and just says, shh, come out of her. And this spirit leaves this girl. 
and then she's free of that spirit. But she is a slave girl, a servant girl of people who make money out of her ability to prophesy the future. And those people are furious. So they get Paul and Silas and they take them to, um, to the authorities who basically, they stir up trouble for them. And then we pick up the story very soon. But what happens as a result of that trouble? Just saying to that girl, be free from what is causing you all that grief. They get severely flogged. Severely flogged with rods. And looking at that, the, the, def, the uh, sort of translation is long, stiff sticks. I don't know, broom handles? They get beaten severely with these things. So I should imagine, apart from soft tissue injuries, they might have some broken ribs. They might be in a really bad state, and that's where we pick up the story. They're locked in the inner cell, and the guard has been told to look after them. And it says from verse 25 of Acts 16, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Don't you just love that? At about midnight, that midnight hour. If ever I think of the midnight hour, a couple of songs come to mind. Um, but even like the commentary bit in Thriller, you know, maybe I shouldn't have listened to Thriller when I was younger, I didn't realise, but you know, the midnight hour is close at hand, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and at this midnight hour... Paul and Silas, having been beaten really for not doing much wrong at all, they are singing hymns out in prison. And I just think that's amazing because that is part of our DNA. That is really part of our DNA, to be in a dark place, to be in a prison place, to be in a place of captivity, maybe emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and to say, you know what, I've still got a song. I'm a skylark and I can still sing in the dark before I see the light breaking in. Interjection, Psalms, Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this from the Passion, first of all. Come on, everyone. Let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout our loudest praises to our God who saved us. Everyone, come meet his face with a thankful heart. Don't hold back your praises. Make him great by your shouts of joy. Or in the message, come, let's shout praises to God. Raise the roof. For the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence singing praises, lifting the rafters with our hymns. That's a cool psalm, isn't it? I wonder if Paul and Silas were singing like that. Because it says that everyone was listening. So they couldn't have been doing it really quietly, sort of embarrassed, or at the volume that you might try and sing a child to sleep. I reckon these guys were going for it. And I've been challenged, actually, um, from those two, from that psalm, that it says... Come on, everyone, everyone do this. Raise the roof, raise the rafters with our praises. And I've put here, not based on personality type. Mm, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I'm naturally introvert, introverted. I'm sort of an extroverted introvert. But I am naturally an introvert. And you know, you've, you know my journey. It wasn't natural for me to raise my hands in worship. It wasn't, it wasn't a natural thing for me to move physically in worship. I struggled with that, and I just wanted to hold on to the chair in front. This doesn't say, if you're an extrovert, please raise the roof in, pra in praise. If you're an introvert, you can do it your quiet way. Okay, I know that we are to worship authentically as who he's made us to be, but I reckon this is a challenge to everyone. Come on, everyone. Let's get passionate about who our God is. Let's get vibrant in our praise. Let's go beyond our own comfort zone or even our own personality style and say, oh, God, I'm going to do this because you want a sacrifice of praise. You want me to get out of my own self and see you as to who you are. Now, for someone that may, may mean something this morning, it's certainly not meant to beat you in. It's just supposed to be a challenge. And 
our praise and our loud praise is not based on great circumstances or personal comfort. And sometimes we praise loudest when we're in good personal situations and when we're personally pretty comfortable, not when we've just had our ribs broken by sticks and we're sitting in the middle of a prison. But God wants us to find our song in the middle of the storm as we sing. That song in every season, that's Skylark DNA. Definition of vibrant is that it's full of energy and enthusiasm. That's the type of praises we are of our God. When it relates to color, it's bright and it's striking. When it relates to sound, vibrant means strong or resonating. They're words we've spoken about with Skylarks. Let that be our praise. Let it be strong, resonating, bright, striking, full of energy, full of enthusiasm for who our God is and all that he has done. Let's carry on. So we've done that one. That one. And now this one. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Everyone's chains came loose. Remember that? We believe that as part of our DNA, that as we start to worship, chains will be broken. We sing that stuff. Not just in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. As I start to sing my songs of praise out, people here who are suffering with sickness begin to get healed. People across the world, chains start to rattle and start to loosen. I don't know how it happens, but we believe in a God of miracles. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. He saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword, didn't he? He was going to kill himself. And Paul says, don't worry, we're all here. Everyone stayed. And then the story goes on that the jailer's whole family got saved. We've got some stories of salvation to share with you later on. We're in a church who believe in vibrant praise. Look at the entry into Jerusalem. When Jesus is coming in on the donkey, people are vibrantly and enthusiastically praising. Look at David before the ark. When the ark was coming back into Jerusalem, he was passionately, excitedly, enthusiastically praising. It didn't say that that was his default or his personality, his natural position. It's just what he was doing. In Acts 3, when Peter and John went to pray, they met a lame man on the way. He asked for arms and held up his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, and on it goes. But he went walking and leaping and praising God, didn't he? He was, he was excited about his healing. He got up, his, his feet were strong, and he was like, woo He started jumping around and leaping and enthusiastically and vibrantly praising God. When in Luke 17, Jesus healed the ten lepers, one of them came back, the Samaritan one out of the group. He came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. That sounds like vibrant praise. That's the type of praises we are. Passionate, enthusiastic, lovers of Jesus. I'm going to move on. Where are we? The next one is here. Surrendered in worship. Because I want to leave time for the testimonies. Now, in the past week, when it comes to Parliament, I'm not going to give a political position, opinion, or anything, but I've heard the word surrender used quite a few times. Are we going to surrender and go with this plan, this plan, this plan? And uh, surrender, as it usually is this week, has been seen to be weak, waving the white flag, lily-livered, I love that expression, 
which is cowardly or less than. Surrender just seems so weak, but surrender to God is different from that. Our surrender to God is a sign of our strength and not our weakness. It's a sign of our faith and not our cowardice. To surrender our own lives and our own wills to our Father is a sign of real strength. Yes, in our worship, as in the sung stuff that we do, but more than that, in our Romans 12, in our living sacrifice lifestyle, we need to continue to learn to surrender to God. Defining it is beautiful, I think. To cease resistance and submit to the authority of another. When that's an opposing army, that's weak. When it's God, it's awesome. Will you, this week, this year, cease resistance and submit to the authority of your loving Father in heaven? You can also surrender possessions. So it can mean to give up or hand over an object. Is there something that God wants you to surrender this year? Give that stuff up. Hand it over to me. That's enough. How about to surrender to? Beautiful definition. To abandon oneself entirely to an influence, person, or thing. We want to be a church who abandon ourselves entirely to Jesus. Who surrender completely. Remember that thing about raising our hands in worship when our arms are in the air? That's the universal sign of surrender, isn't it? And it's also, especially now with Saren at her age being one, when she sticks her arms in the air like that, she just wants to be picked up. And so I want to surrender to my dad in heaven, and I want him to come and give me a hug and pick me up from the situation I find myself in. And the story I just want to look at briefly is Jesus in Gethsemane. I was thinking, what's the the perfect example of surrender to the Father? And it's Jesus. When he went off with his disciples, once he was going to be betrayed. He'd been betrayed, sorry. And he went off just before he was arrested. And he said to the lads with him, to the three, my soul's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He knew what was coming. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from, you, from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done. Then he went back, found the disciples asleep, went away a second time praying, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. What incredible surrender. Jesus shows us the ultimate example of what it means to be surrendered in worship. And it really isn't easy. Surrender isn't easy. It's not fluffy. It's not weak. It's strong. Your will be done. Not my will. Not Nikki's will over this church. Your will be done, Lord. What about in other areas? In this church, in our homes, your will. I surrender. I quit resisting. I hold back the resistance. I surrender. That's who we are as a church. In our careers, in our ministries, in our vision, in what we feel we're called to, in our hearts. God wants us to be a people who are vibrant in praise and surrendered in worship. This is a funny one, really. Just before testimonies, Nikki, we're going to do testimonies now. But reading in Acts, probably Nikki will say, I shouldn't have said this. But reading in Acts, just, you like this now, don't you? Well, you no, because you're going to say it probably wasn't appropriate. Um, 
Reading in Acts, beginning of chapter 16, Paul and Silas are there and Timothy wants to come over and go on a mission trip with them and reach a group of people. And uh, I'm not doing the whole story. Okay? So he comes over and uh, he's all excited about going on this ministry trip. It doesn't say that, but I'm just guessing. And um, they, say, they say to him, well, Timothy, the thing is, your mum's a Jew, that's great, but your dad's a Greek and you haven't been circumcised. And the people we're going to reach, they are Jews. And it's important to them. They don't, we don't want to get there and they'll say, oh, who is this uncircumcised fellow? We don't want to listen to him. And so Tim, Timothy's like, yeah, get that so far. So Paul's like, so I'm going to circumcise you before we go. It's in the Bible. It's just one sentence. So Paul circumcised him and they went, so, hold on. Pause, time. <laughs> he did what? So a grown man was circumcised so he could go on the ministry trip that he felt called to. And I think that's interesting because some people, when they want to go to Romania, get a bit stuffy that they have to do two training days <laughs> on a Saturday. Trust me, it could be worse. <laughs> it could be a lot worse. <laughs> so, see, surrender. <laughs> Surrendering to do the will of God for Timothy was pretty painful, which for Jesus was out, outrageous, off the charts, painful. <laughs> don't, don't overthink it, Phil. <laughs> but are we prepared to surrender? Or do we only surrender when it's comfy? Because that, that isn't it. We need to surrender and be vibrant in our praise. So what we're going to do now is um, we're going to share a few testimonies. Yeah, so um, Al, can we... For the benefit of you people listening at home, we're going to turn this off now. hope you've had a nice day.